Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made, innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. Okay, Tim Sly, tell us what uh, what are we gonna do? We're gonna really we're gonna milk out the introduction. Tell what is an epidemiologist? I mean, I kind I mostly kind of know, but just but tell everybody else. Tell Giannis. Okay, the word doesn't have anything to do with illness. Epi means around, demos means people, and ology is the study of it. Somehow we've put diseases onto that, but it goes back to Aristotle, uh, actually Hippocrates in the old days. Anything that was visited upon a population from outside, such as a, a plague or uh, warts or something like that, was uh, investigated. Warts? warts are visited from the outside? Well, sure they were. I mean, they didn't have warts yesterday. Now today everybody's got warts. I mean, I just keep using that as an example. So diseases have taken over epidemiology, but in the original word, that had nothing to do with diseases. Because <clears throat> they didn't know about them. They had some spectacular ideas about where diseases came the from. Mi- they the were miasma, supernatural. The miasma. Well, well but, <laughs> but the miasma was actually started by Hippocrates in a sort of a, a pretty reasonable way. Before that, it was the stars, d- demons, gods who were displeased with the evils of mankind, all kinds of... Uh, devils and so on, causing disease. There's still people who think that. There are indeed. (laughs) But then Hippocrates came along and said, look, forget the supernatural, think of natural. So if if you're living in a a swampy area, you look at those people and they get more chance of having fever than the people who live on a nice, uh, clear mountaintop. He was right. 
But it wasn't the smell in the swamp that did it. It was the mosquitoes that lived in the swamp. So yeah. he had the right solution, for the right, but at least he brought supernatural down to natural. But we had miasma lasting until really the mid-1800s, until uh, like Pasteur and Koch came along and found bacteria for the first time. So it's, my, it's miasma, not miasma. miasma. Uh, you can pronounce it any way you like, yeah. But that concept was the idea that there was just bad air. Bad air. And, you, and of course, we get bad air with malaria. In Italian, malaire, bad air. So we still use the word bad air in the, in the name of ma, in the malaria. Isn't it wild that they were uh, people smart. just getting like wiped out by malaria and not making the connection between that yeah. and mosquitoes yeah. for hundreds and hundreds of years? And they knew the connection between stagnant, stale, collected water and disease, but they didn't know why. So they made the right solutions, but for the wrong reason. Yeah. Well... Uh, Tell me uh, where, where, so you're an epidemiologist. You tell us what it means. Where, where do you practice? Or um, what, is your, what is your career? Virtually anywhere. My specialty is foodborne diseases, but my colleagues are sometimes clinical epidemiologists and they help physicians in hospitals run uh, uh, randomized controlled trials. There's in occupational health epidemiologists who are really trying to study diseases in the workplace. Because remember, workers are exposed to 10, 100 times more problems than the citizens are. So normally, the diseases emerge more in a worker working in a mine, in a, a forest, in a slaughterhouse, wherever it is. They're exposed to much more chemical plants, uh, pharmaceutical plants. It's the workers where diseases begin to show up first. So we study them. But why, we can, why is that? Well, because they're, 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 they're exposed to more. I mean, if you're packing, I don't know, let's take Viagra in a pharmaceutical plant, you're breathing in this dust in an eight-hour shift every day for, for 30 years. You're exposed to far more of this incidental chemical than somebody who's in the citizenry who may just buy one a couple. I'm using Viagra as a strange example, but you can see that they're exposed to far more. People working in the, the vinyl chloride industry, making polyvinyl chloride, PVC, those people were, uh, uh, began to fall like flies for a very rare liver disease, uh, a hemangioma that only affects people who work in the PVC industry. Really? Yeah. Because it's a, it's a, a polymer. Plastics are polymers, right? Yeah. You get gases and liquids and you polymerize them together to make a solid. That's where polyvinyl chloride. Vinyl chloride is a, is a gas. It's highly car carcinogenic. Put the molecules together, you get polyvinyl chloride, which is pretty stable until you get incinerated at the end of its life. Then it produces furans and dioxins. So it's dangerous at the beginning when you're making it, dangerous at the end when you're burning it, but it's okay in the middle. So this, this is probably a misconception I had about, remember I told you I knew all about it and I was going to have you tell Giannis? <laughs> I didn't know about it. I had the misconception that I thought epidemiology, what, that you only looked at infectious diseases that like spread from person to person. In the early days, uh, Steve, you'd be right. And people were worried about plague and they were worried about uh, uh, horrible disease like anthrax and uh, typhoid and that. And it's still a major part of things. I mean, those diseases haven't gone away. They're still around. But more and more epidemiology looks at, at uh, even accidents. You look at heart disease and cancers. Now, we have a few infectious cancers around. The first one was uh, the feline leukemia 
virus. In other words, a virus that can infect something cause cancer. A human papillomavirus, which you know, you get your kids vaccinated for HPV, and it almost will wipe out uh, future um, um, cervical cancer. Yeah, that's the one that's like a little bit controversial because people feel that little kids will get vaccinated and they'll be more likely to become like sexually promiscuous knowing that they don't have it to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like this kind of like funny logic where there's a thing like you can get um, what's it called H- HPV. HPV. So you could vaccinate your child for a is it a, is it is it a venereal disease? It's a virus. The virus. It's spread through sexual contact. Yeah. But you've got to get the kids before the first contact with with the virus, which means guaranteed before the first sexual contact. That's right. And some people argue like, oh, I don't want my kid to get it because then they'll be like that the only thing keeping their kid from being sexual is the fear of HPV apparently. And so then you give them – Pretty you weak, track, it's pretty weak track. logic, yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I just see this like I see this idea floating around out there. It always strikes me as funny. Um, you specialize in foodborne. Mm-hmm. How do you? Uh, I've had a number of foodborne things that I'd like to talk about. But how? Like, <laughs> how do you? How do you sort of encapsulate what would be foodborne? Is it like? Does it? Is it mean like that you have to ingest it, or is it exposure to like like? Is it exposure to the food system that you could get, or does it have to? Does foodborne illness have to mean that you like you physically ingested it in your mouth and swallowed it? Yeah, foodborne. That, ingested food okay. or water. Yeah, food or water that gets ingested. No, there are some diseases which you you can ing- like like tularemia, for example. You know, rabbit fever. That's where I was going with this. Uh, that one is a mainly foodborne disease, but you can also get it through cuts on the skin and through inhaling through an aerosol. That's a very versatile organism, but in mainly it's foodborne disease. You're ingesting it. Whether it's a, a toxin in a food, whether it's a bacteria, a parasite, a fungus, or a virus, or just a, just a plain old chemical. They're all foodborne diseases. I want to walk through a whole bunch of diseases I'm interested in and that apply to sort of outdoor people. Um, and I want to start with tularemia because there's a thing like, you guys can back me up on this. People sort of have this idea People have this idea there's something wrong with rabbits, right? But, 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 no one, it's, but it's only no, wrong with rabbits before <laughs> the first freeze of the year, and there's all sorts of old wives' tales about Dude, it. Dude, I carried around with me. My kid killed a rabbit the other day with his little stick bow. And it, it's oh, good like, for him. well, he's walking around with it all. I mean, like, like, I would argue overhandling it. And it's summertime, and I'm like, you know, I know from growing up that one doesn't handle a rabbit before the first frost. And then I remember reading a couple years ago about a guy that ran over a, a, like a desiccated rabbit with his lawnmower and got like an aerosolized tularemia. No shit. In his lungs. Yeah. Can you, yeah. Walk us through like what's wrong, what's wrong with rabbits and when. It's not just rabbits. In fact, okay. if you track it right down to its origin, uh, the reservoir, if you want to call it that, for disease in this case is the tick, usually ticks. 
See, the ticks, uh, rabbits happen to be close to the ground. The rabbits happen to pick up more ticks than most other animals out there. So they become infected with it. So that if you catch a rabbit, you skin a rabbit, you touch a rabbit, you run over it with a lawnmower or whatever, you're either going to have contact with the skin, you're going to breathe in the aerosol, or if you do cook it up and you have a rabbit pie, during the preparation of it, you can, that bacteria, Francisella tularensis, you're going to ingest it into your body and take it in the body in some way or another. If it's on the skin, you'll get a, uh, like an ulcer, a rather nasty indurated ulcer. It's called an ulcerans type. If it, if does, it, it, does it have to enter through a cut? Uh, that's how it does. It's a very active little bacteria, Francisella, and it enters through a cut. And most people got little cuts on the skin that you don't notice about it. And so that's the skin form, which is easily easy to treat. Less easy to treat is the inhaled form. So it forms a far form of chronic pneumonia, quite nasty. And then if you eat the meat, you can get a, a gastrointestinal disease. It's a very versatile organism. You find it all over the place. But the tick is where you go first. Okay, walk me through the life cycle of a tularemia of, of a of a tularemia bacteria. What, like so if you had a rabbit that lived like if you had a rabbit that lived in sort of a isolated somehow you could isolate a rabbit from ticks. Right. So he's living a normal rabbit life, eating normal rabbit stuff, but for right. whatever reason this is some magical land where right. he doesn't come into contact with a tick. Right. He never gets tularemia? If he's not bitten by a mosquito, because that's another way to transfer the organism, and he doesn't come across mice or rats, maybe field mice, deer mice or something like that, which can also carry it. And the rabbits don't normally eat these things. So that, yeah, you're right. If he doesn't get bitten or by a tick or a mosquito and doesn't come to contact, yes, he would be virtually free. Can you get rabbit? Let's say you're hanging out and a mosquito bites a rabbit. And then a mosquito bites you. That doesn't transmit tularemia, right? Uh, well, the mosquito would have to have been bitten, have to have bitten something first, another infective rabbit or other animal to to infect the rabbit. It doesn't come from just the mosquito or the tick. I mean, it's it has to have bitten some other animal it also to transfer had, it. So gotcha. the reservoir, the big reservoir, is the wildlife out there. Now, of course, if you get it, you're not going to transfer it to anybody else unless you give blood. Mm-hmm. Or unless somebody eats you, cannibalism. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's very rare. But well, it why is, is it no, why is it known as rabbit fever? Well, I never heard of anybody. People aren't don't exercise caution when they're cleaning squirrels out of fear of getting tularemia. Squirrels can get it too. So can the smaller rodents as well. Larger animals too. In fact, they've even found it in the birds, water birds. You know, cranes and things. And I believe there's some people who say they found it in fish too. There's a example of tularemia just in California a couple of years ago uh, with a fish hook. Apparently the fish hook was in a fish and somebody then sort of tried to cast the hook again and got caught in somebody's skin. Yeah. And that was the origin of the Francisella organism again. No. Yeah. This is a very I think versatile. He, I think it was a fly tied out of rabbit hair. What do you think about that, Sam? <laughs> oh, I don't. <laughs> I don't like fishermen. I don't, I don't like thinking about that one bit. I tie with rabbit hair all the time. I I yeah. will uh, tan my own rabbit hides to make flies. Well, the hair is not going to be a problem. No, I mean, no right. It's, it's the point. it's the flesh. Right. It's Never the mind. organism. Never mind. Well, you got to deal with the Never flesh. To, theory. You got to yeah. get deal with the flesh to get the hair. Yeah. Though, yeah. If you're doing it yourself. Does, cook, well, yeah. does cooking rabbit meat kill tularemia? Yeah. Do you know what? Do you happen to know? I'll forgive you if you don't. At what temperature tularemia gets killed? Oh, it's not uh, very heat stable. So uh, 
technically probably about uh, 145F, but I would take it up to about 160 to be on the safe side because you can, can't really be sure you're killing everything in there. 160. Yeah, a lot, poultry, a lot of magic. A lot of magic when it when it comes to food. A lot of magic happens around 160, don't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. also lose a lot of magic out of some <laughs> foods if you're going to take it to 160. Well, it's a like given. It, it's a give and take. Right? Yeah, absolutely. An elk steak taken to 160 is going to be like shoe leather. Well, uh, yeah, you could try. You know what's coming in now is the sous vide method of cooking. Oh, um, yeah, man. We're down to about 140, 135, but for a long Pro- time. Prolonged period of time. But that needs, that needs our microbiologists to begin to say, look, it, you can cook with this thing. It needs, say, two and a half hours to kill the bacteria off. I mean, you know, I think you've had, uh, have you, what do you, you've had uh, trichinosis, haven't you? Me and Yanni here. Both of you have. We're positive. Well, now that's, we even got T-shirts to say "trick pause." That may have been a great piece of <laughs> semi-raw beef at that moment, but, but there's a problem with it, you know. So they take it up to the reasonable temperature, or irradiating it, or really freezing it. And freezing doesn't work <clears throat> all the time with trichinosis. We've so, got some new strains now in the Arctic area. That's what I wanted to add. Because so we're jumping into trichinosis right now. We're just going. We're if going you want for to, it. You're okay. the boss. <laughs> when we were struggling with with our little trichinosis problem, which really isn't that bad. It's a bad week, mm-hmm. but it causes a lot of psychological harm mm-hmm. because, because, you know, you don't, you don't have, you can't like ask your buddy what happened to him when he had it. So it, it, it's unnerving, but in the end, in hindsight, it's not a big deal. However, it can be a big deal. It can kill you, right? It can kill you. But, but for most people, it's, it's mild and achy and joint pain and so on. That, but if it gets in the eye and the liver and the heart and stuff like that can be bad news. It can be bad. There was an outbreak in uh, 2008 in California. An outbreak? Outbreak. Uh, 39 people met to sample bear meat. Sounds about right. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> all of those, uh, the epidemiologists well, they did met, all the figures. They, so they had a, they had I a, bet they met for they something else. No, they had a feast <laughs> for bear meat. <laughs> okay, go on. And there was, uh, some would only eat cooked bear meat. And the majority, it's raw or semi-cooked. And 100% of the people who had the uncooked, the raw meat, developed trichinosis. Really? And the studies were fascinating. For example, there's not much meat left. How have I never even heard about this? You didn't? I'll give what you, year I'll, was this? I'll, I'll send you the oh, no, uh, I'm, the not calling, I'm not no, calling no, you out you, like you're lying. You can read just... through the whole thing. Yeah, okay. Fascinating study. Okay, go on. But they took, they took they, all the meat they had left was some of the, the claw, the paw of the bear. And for one gram of that meat, they isolated 76 or 78 trichinosis worms. And one gram, that's about the size of a a garbanzo, you know, a chickpea. Yeah. Now, that's not the predilective site for that particular organism. It really gets to the masseter muscles, you know, the big chewing muscles, to the diaphragm and the heart. All those wandering parasites, that's where they go. So this is going to be Can I tell you, can I get, can I one up you real quick? What's that? Well, I had to send a chunk of my bear meat down to the CDC in Atlanta. Yeah. It was, well, I remember I calculated it out to the pound. Yeah. It was 600,000 larvae per pound. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe now, I'm not one up anymore. Now, remember. Now, remember now. Take it, take it next step. All of those larvae are going to get into your gut. And your stomach acid is going to dissolve the little cyst that comes out. So now they're free swimming. The female's about two millimeters. The male's about one millimeter, very, very tiny. In your gut, they're mating. 
Mm-hmm. And each pair now produce thousands of larvae that are microscopic. They enter through the gut wall, through the blood supply, and go around the body. So by that time, you've got billions of, of larvae in you now from the hundreds of thousands that you ate. We're talking astronomical numbers here. Do they... <laughs> is the heart is is your heart and diaphragm and tongue? Did you say tongue when you talked about hot spots? T- tongue is one especially for tapeworm. Okay, uh, so it's in, not a, it's not a, it's not a trick hot spot. Not a trick hot spot. No, mass is this heart and the diaphragm and tongue. Okay, put, is it that put them in there? Is it that they um is it that it's a good habitat for them and they survive there, or do they know to go there? They don't know to go there. But so it's just the ones that go there do well. The circulation system runs into these tissues first. I mean, the heart muscle needs a lot of fresh oxygenated blood. So right from the lung, it gets into the heart, uh, the heart wall. And so you're seeing a lot end up there. But I don't know why the masseter muscle, why the chewing muscles would be. It is the case for quite a few parasites, wandering parasites. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. You know where we felt the pain? Yeah. Uh, back me up, Yanni, but... Your, uh, your, uh, what am I touching right now? The scapula? No, 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 Shoulder no. blade? No, the muscle that, like, connects your shoulders to oh, your neck. Oh, the deltoid. Tra- deltoid. Trapezius? Your traps? Tra- the, the, tra- yeah. yeah. The, Don't tra- nod, Yanni. People can't hear you nod. But, yeah, I would agree with traps. Your calves? Yeah, the calves, yeah, yeah. And then lower back? Yeah. Right? Yes. Did you back me up? That's where you could feel the pain. Really? But I don't know that that really means that that's where the bugs are going, the oh, worms. Just the ones that are making the, their presence felt on you. That's all yeah, I, I see. Now, if we, we only had like basically a shish kebab type chunk each, that's how much I had. You, couple might, shi- couple, you might have had more. A couple shishes. So we might have not made it to hundreds of mm. thousands. Mm-hmm. Because we we ate very little that day. Just on the plane coming down, to of interest, I was looking at the the range of meat, bear meat that was eaten by these thirty nine people. It ranged from about a half an ounce to one person at twenty eight ounces. (laughs) (laughs) That person really liked that raw bear. So, if you figure it out to the next cycle of life, they're into billions and billions of these things. Yeah, that's a big. That guy was going for it. That's a big. And so, what happens is it, it forms an it's an inflammation, but instead of an inflammation being a little local inflammation, the entire body is one massive inflammation. So your 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 chemicals that respond to you know the cytokines respond to all the inflammation are just making you a, just a, a febrile mass of jelly, and so the you can't keep up with the blood pressure, and the heart would stop. It's a, that's what kills you. But it's unusual to be that amount. You know what piqued my interest there is. When earlier I was saying, I think before we started to record, I was saying that I had occasion to interact with the state epidemiologist in Alaska while this was going on. And we got to chatting. And he mentioned um, that, that there's sort of a famous version of trichinosis. or tri- People always like, like I might mutilate the word, like trichinosis spiralis. Trichinella spiralis. Trichinella spiralis. That's the original one. Okay. And he was saying there are there are a variety of these. Everybody always says that one, but there's a variety of mm-hmm. these. And he suggested that there are freeze-tolerant mm-hmm. specimens in the north mm-hmm. and even told me about a, a case he worked on where some people had eaten raw walrus mm. 
that had been frozen for the winter mm. and they thought it was safe because it was frozen. But in fact, he, he feels that they tracked the infection mm-hmm. to wa- raw walrus. What surprised me about this was uh, two things. One, that a walrus would be a potential carrier of trichinosis. I don't know why that surprised me, but it just seems unusual. And, um, and two, that, that freezing doesn't kill it because you often will see people say, uh, cook it or freeze it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that he, he he's a proponent of cooking, not Absolutely. trusting the freezing. Cooking, or if you really want to be bold, radiation will do it as well. Cobalt 60 will do it. It won't hurt the meat, but it'll kill off everything that's in it. Is that, but, something, that, is that something people do? Oh, yeah. We do it with uh, spices, for example. People don't know that. The spices you buy in the supermarket have been irradiated? irradiated. Yeah, yeah. Really? For safety? And, uh, for food safety? For food safety. And in fact, uh, the public is would be up in arms about it because they think they're going to turn, you know, yeah, luminous man. at night or something. But it's not. Uh, many countries do it for things like onions. You don't get onions sprouting, or potatoes won't sprout. Along with cobalt sixty. Cobalt. There's a number of uh, isotopes you can do. It's much like an X-ray machine. You know, you you put the food in little packages. You run it through the machine. You radiate. It comes out the other end. There's nothing. Nothing. No radioactivity in the food. But just like the x-ray has gone through your foot when you x-ray your foot, it's gone through the food, zapped everything alive in there. You can't do it with things like bean sprouts because you want the beans sprout to be alive. You want the seeds still to grow. into. You can't do something like that. But if you want to kill off anything that's alive in there, you, you irradiate it. It's wonderful. It's, it's done for the armed services all over the world. So you could take bear meat, run it through that whatever yep. contraption they do this in. And then just have like... They would have to figure out uh, for that particular uh, trichinella exactly how much, the, what the intensity would be for that. Once they've got that sorted out, that's, and you'd be safe as houses. Then okay. you could eat all the raw bear meat you want. T- taste wouldn't change, but you'd be safe. So one thing we've been talking about lately, because um, we tend to talk about trichinosis probably too much, um, is that you mentioned sous vide cooking. And... Uh, and I've read and people have emailed me various things where people are like, oh, you can, you know, instead of hitting 160 or 165, you can actually kill it at 140 for a prolonged period of time. Is this sort of, is information like that, and and, and, and if you don't know the exact numbers, that, that's fine. I'm not asking you to give them. But is information like that uh, set forth in some sort of official way around sous vide and trichinosis, like, are you aware of someone formally saying, yes, six hours at 140, you're 100% absolutely safe? Or is that, are these numbers still a little bit elusive? They're very elusive. I don't know the answer for trichinosis. I don't know anybody does, but we were talking about it, and I think it's a good way to go. The, it's, the whole process is new. It's in the last, what? couple of decades that people have been interested in doing this. And so, but you need to be, look at every single one of those organisms. There's about 250 agents that give you foodborne disease. And each one of them would have to be assessed because you're right at the margin. You're right at the edge. I mean, a minute to, a minute or two too short in time and you can have problems. Yeah. Minute or, a degree or two too low in temperature. You're right on the edge of the thing. So you've got to be really sure about the science of it. But once that's done for all of these agents, then, then people stick to it. I think we're going to be okay. And there may be a, somewhere in there, trichinella will be tested for that as well. This is kind of an obvious question. Well, no, it's not because I don't even know the answer to it. When 
pick any kind of thing that pick your favorite foodborne pathogen that dies at a certain temperature. What happens at like like why does it die? What happens to some of these things? Like you, you boil water to sanitize water, whatever. Like like what goes on with the organism that makes it that it can't get you sick anymore? Main thing is protein. You take an egg, you put it in the frying pan, it's still moving around. Heat it up to it at about 143F, whatever the temperature is. I'm converting from Celsius to Fahrenheit. And suddenly the protein coagulates. It becomes a white protein, becomes a solid. doesn't function as a protein. You're getting all kinds of protein chains act separating and connecting again. In other words, protein's useless, and we're all made of protein. So mainly it's the heat that's disabling the protein every single time. And that whatever the protein is you're trying to disable, the temperature is slightly different for each one. Okay. This is why uh, mad cow disease was the mystery because we found out that's a protein. It's a pure protein. It's not even a, a virus or anything. But, but it, we, we find that you can heat that to, to, to temperatures that no other protein on the planet would survive and yet this thing does. Yeah, I heard so about some. I heard about some politician that was that said in a it was a private meeting. I don't want to name who said it, but he had said uh, he was talking about CWD wasn't an issue because we'll just uh, everybody have to cook their deer meat more. And some guys like you got to cook your deer meat to four thousand degrees. <laughs> <laughs> you got to ash it. That's what you. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, hey. we, we've got examples of uh, of uh, probes used by a, a brain surgeon just to explore your brain. And uh, for somebody who was suffering from uh, early stages of Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, the human CJD, and that's all that happened, this probe, stainless steel probe, just went into the brain, and then they sewed him back up, and he's fine. The probe was, was went through hospital sterilization three separate times. You know, that's a 15 pounds pressure, that's 121 C, that's 250 F, right, for 15 minutes. It'll kill off everything on the planet. This was still infective after three of those cycles. Really? In oh. an, animals, you could give the, C, you know, that can, mad cow disease to hamsters three times. So the, you can't uh, destroy this thing. Uh, Sam, our very own special Sam Longren, explain how. Are you mm. leaving trichinosis? Yeah. I, have, I've, I can't leave trichinosis. You have at it, man. I'm just trying to move through a lot of sicknesses, but I want to. We, wanna... uh, we got it in 2013, I believe. So now I have billions of cysts in some of my major muscle groups. What's the... Uh, they tend to there, die off. It, right. After a while, if nobody eats you, right, they tend to uh, calcify. They tend to become uh, uh, non-viable. So even if somebody were to take a lump out of your, your, your calf muscle, they wouldn't suffer from it. At what point? By now? I think it, it varies quite a bit. There's been some work done in animals because you, you, you can't really experiment on humans too much. The work done in animals, and I think it begins to a year or two, and they're pretty much sure it's gone. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man, that's such a... Bu- I like thinking again, you, of myself as trick paws, man. But you may get exceptions to the rule. You know, nature, don't underestimate Mother Nature. There's always exceptions. So somebody's going to keep them alive longer. You know what? Uh, pass this along to your colleagues. Yeah. Um, we know our infection date. Like, we could tell you the day, like the day we got, that we ingested the meat. Okay. And when did you first have the symptoms? A month later. A month later. We could tell you the day we ingested, we'd have to dig around, we could get you the day. We could tell you the day we ingested the meat. We could tell you the the day that we had the onset of symptoms. And the first symptoms were not like the latter symptoms, were they? No. 
Yeah, we, well, we didn't tell... have we didn't have first symptoms. Did no, you have... it it evolved. I first started thinking that I first started feeling like I had like uh just like just oh muscle yeah yeah. Fatigue. But everything happened at, at the a month into it. A month into it. No, yeah. nothing happened to any, four of us got sick. Nothing happened to any of us until a month later, and then we like simultaneously had there there was some common themes, some, some variants from person to person, but some strong common themes of muscle fatigue, and then we all got we all got better pretty quick. And then we know, like, so we were like a CDC reported case. They had the meat. Anyway, point being, if you ever talking to any colleagues, and they want to do a biopsy, mm-hmm. um, I absolutely would love to do it. If someone wanted to check where they got a known infection date and they wanted to see what's going on inside uh, my calves or whatever, mm-hmm. I would love to do a biopsy. I'd give mm-hmm. them a chunk of myself too. Yeah, me and Yanni. All they need is a is about a point one of a. Graham, would you know, love to do it if you ever run into if you ever at a conference and run into yeah. someone who's interested in trick. Well, normally after about uh, uh, half a month to three weeks, you get gastrointestinal upset. It's yep, a, yep, and then it goes away a little bit, and then once the little larvae begin to spread throughout the system, that's about a month, and then you begin a month or two, and you begin to get the muscle aches and pains, joint pains, and so on. Yeah, but you could just get like uh, the gastrointestinal upset. You know, that just happens for a happens. thousand reasons, right? So that Absolutely. might, you might not. Didn't even know that. I, yeah, we all might even had or didn't pay attention to it. Yeah. Like you get like, you know, whatever, you have a bad day. Yeah. And, um, but it wasn't the thing that really, a month later is when we really started texting but each other. take your blood as well. I'll do a blood test. They're looking for serology, look for antigens to this particular parasite, and also for what they call eosinophilia. And I was looking for a certain kind of white blood cell. That when you have a parasite, it's suddenly there in vast numbers. It's not normally there in vast numbers. Parasites trigger the eosinophils in your blood. So there's a lot of blood work can be done as well as biopsies. In order to tell that something's going yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. Okay, go on more, Yanni. No, that's that's I'm happy. You good? That's what I wanted to hear. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business. It's dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces. Embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. Decked Drawer Systems. Their products let you store and transport anything and everything to and from whatever you are doing. I have been using a deck system for years. I would not want to drive a truck without a decked system in it. You can clear the clutter right out of your cab. No more tripping over duct tape, jumper cables, toe straps. You put all that stuff in the deck system. Get rid of the random tubs and bins. You get out more, get more done, spend your time doing what you want to do when you have all your stuff organized and ready to go where it should be, all tucked away in your deck system. I've always loved decked, as is, but it's even better now because they just redesigned their drawer system and storage cases from the ground up. They got the Deco case line. These cases are as tough, if not tougher, than Pelican case or Go boxes. Totally waterproof and dustproof. You can literally run over them in your truck and they will be fine. High quality latches and handles make them really easy to use. They look great. They are made in the USA. To check it out, go to decked.com slash meat eater. Get yourself free shipping. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. 
Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. I, for one, use it on all of my outboard engines up in Alaska every year. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Okay, Sam, explain the work you were doing that led us to get to talking about our guest, Tim. Yeah, I was um, a <clears throat> guy I used to work for, Lantani at Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, taught me a trick where we're out fishing and you catch a trout. Does this count as a trick? No, uh, it's not really a trick. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. Um, no, we're just out fishing. You cut, catch a trout and chop it up and put in a bunch of lime juice and jalapenos and parsley and eat it with chips afterwards. And just every, Sort of like a ceviche. It, yeah, it, mm. is, it is a ceviche. Um, that's, and that's what we call it. But everybody freaks out every time you talk about that. And, and you wrote an article about it. Yeah, well, I wrote an article about it several years ago. We, we published a recipe for it in a Backcountry Journal when I was there. And we got, a, we got a lot of letters saying, oh, you shouldn't tell people to do that. It's so dangerous. Fresh, we can't eat freshwater fish raw. Like across the board, you can't eat freshwater fish raw. And, so, and we did it again this spring. I posted some pictures of it and people freaked out again. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to look into this. I'm surprised you're not dead. I'm surprised I'm not dead too, especially with what you read online. I mean, there was a, there was one article from Vice News that the headline was like, eating freshwater fish will kill you. Dude, that's where I go for all my news about food. Yo, well, yeah, all, my wild, all my wild game information oh, comes from vice.com. It's bull, bulletproof, <laughs> bulletproof. And they're not trying to scare you at all. Um, so I started looking into it and the, the surface level review of it corroborated what everyone had said that it pretty much anywhere you look, people are going to say freshwater fish is not okay to eat raw, but I kept digging and kept digging and kept digging and found Tim, one of Tim's responses on this website, Quora, uh, about, about freshwater fish. And he said almost the opposite thing that there are much more problems with, uh, marine fish than there are with freshwater fish. And uh, so I I reached out through a number of different <laughs> mechanisms. Is he not good about getting back to people? No, he was. No, I was just good. on deadline. So I'll yell at him right now. Yeah, no. Oh, no, okay. he, and, and then we had a great conversation with that, uh, about that, and he, he and, and someone as esteemed in his profession as, as him told me the exact opposite thing from what every, everybody told me what I was reading online. And made me feel really good about eating freshwater fish raw, and really sketched out about sushi. And, and then I told I told you that this guy's uh, know, knows a lot about foodborne illnesses, and we talked about uh, trichinosis and tularemia and a bunch of things. And I thought he'd be a great podcast guest. Yeah, so I want to. Uh, we can take turns. I want to ask about specific things that like that I hear about fish. Yeah. Okay. Uh. In Southeast Alaska, 
it's commonly held as a commonly held belief. Go ahead and eat anything, any of the fish raw, but one doesn't eat a raw salmon. The worst being a raw king salmon, because you'll get worms and be all sick. You buying that? And that the halibut worms don't worry about the worms that proliferate in halibut, which I, when my wife asks what they are, I say that's just part of the halibut. When I was working up there, man, the the Dover sole, the and flounder would be bumpy with those worms. Yeah. In okay. Places. Let's let's look at marine worms first. Get them yeah. out of the way. Um, there are many nematodes, the little round worms, some some bigger than others, that affect marine fish. Some sometimes people call them a cod worm. They belong to the genus like a Pseudoterranova, Anisakis, Phocanema. These are the worms. And they, we've all eaten them by the hundreds, not even knowing it, because normally the, f- the fish we buy in the supermarket is frozen or we've cooked it. But they only occur in marine fish. Uh, they go through a cycle. Uh, it varies a little bit. They go through either sort of seals and then back into fish, and then they're like the adult and the larva, adult and the larva. Uh, if we eat raw uh, marine fish, there is a chance, it's not very common, but there is a chance that you can ingest one of these worms, let's call it an anisakis, one of the most common ones, forms a little coil up, a little bit bigger than your trichinosis coil, and if it's raw, you can eat it, and it'll come out of its little cyst, it'll wonder what the hell's going on, it'll start to penetrate through the wall of your intestine, it'll wander around your guts for a while, and then die. Oh. In other words, it, we cannot be the the definitive host for that. It's looking for a seal, and we're not right. a seal. So it will die. Uh, en route, it can do little bits of damage. It can cause little bits of pain. It can even, in the rare cases, set up a, a peritonitis, an inflammation of the gut, or even an appendicitis, for example, just because it's, it's poking its way into the wrong area. But it will die. It is, it's called a visceral lava migraine, a VLM, by that, by that stage. I re- so you're not going to all of a sudden like puke up a bunch of these things? It's happened uh, in Nova Scotia and northern Canada. A, a bunch of people had a, a, a fire at the, at the beach. They gathered, they, they, they gathered to eat raw. Uh, and they, a lot of the fish they eat raw. And then the, after they went to the tent, one of the women's uh, <laughs> coughing and up comes these worms, the little, uh. little worms. Little, but that time they've uncoiled themselves. They're about a, a centimeter but they, long. But they hadn't reproduced in her. No, 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 she no. Just, no they can't. She just ingested them. They can't. Them. And is that because, it, because their ultimate host is, is like a, a saltwater biome? It's a, it's a marine mammal. Is the, is yeah. The, yeah. So they, so, but we have, our, our, our system is more freshwater and they can't. Uh, our system, no, our system is, is just no, no, it's it's very particular proteins that these oh, parasites want, yeah. and we don't have the seals protein. Look at the whales and seals and walrus, different different uh, marine mammals for different species of worm, but that's what they're looking for between the fish and the mammal. We are an incidental host, a dead end host. Now, how that's long the can reason. A, how long uh, you can just weave this into whatever you're going to go into next? But you say like he roams around and dies. How long are we talking about? Like, if you, let's say you eat a piece of raw salmon and get a worm. Oh, a matter of days, a week or so. Oh, okay. Like that. But here's the thing. In the uh, outside of Japan, if you like sushi. And I do. All the meat has been frozen. 
It's a kind of an agreed way to deal with meat, especially if you live... Uh, Toronto is a, a thousand miles from the ocean. Here, you're a long way from the ocean. So if you're going to get really fresh fish, you want it frozen on the fishing boat and then only thawed out when it's in your sushi chef's hands. Mm-hmm. That's really fresh stuff. And that, that doesn't mean it keeps fresh. It also means it's, it's killed off the worm. Those worms are killed off by freezing. And that's useful for a lot of people, but us and and many people of our in our audience like to get the those fish ourselves yep. and and one thing i came across in this research is that the the freezing level required to kill many of these parasites is much lower than you can attain than your with, household freezer exactly uh that'll be the case for trichinella for sure but most of these other worms are fairly easily killed off by freezing. Oh, really? But some species of fish are vastly more wormy than others. Hmm. And there are other worms I didn't mention, the much longer ones. For example, yellowtail tuna has got some rather large worms in there. You can, have, you can see them. They're very macroscopic. And they can, they can mess you up. No, they, they, no they're going to be, they'll be a dead end in you. But they're a bit objectionable to see this sort of wriggling thing, like a little bit of spaghetti, you know, in the raw sushi. But this is why most of the fish outside of Japan is frozen before it reaches the sushi chef. I read in Japan that something like a quarter of the cases of appendicitis are are actually mistaken cases of uh, the Anasakis infection. Yeah, so people go to the the hospital and they're like, oh, uh, we got to get your appendix out. And then, oh, no, you just have... Uh, gut full of worms. Yeah. Sushi worms. Yeah. So what sometimes, is, what, the, what the surgeon sometimes does and finds out it wasn't the appendix, they'll whip out the appendix anyway. They've got the person open and it may, it'll stop the future. No, it doesn't, it doesn't always happen like that. <laughs> yeah. So that's what happened. Now, that's marine parasites. Well, I'm not, I'm not ready to move on yet. Okay. Uh, if you had to rate how uh, me and Yanni here uh, been eating a fair bit of raw, uh, we're eating a fair bit of raw Yellowtail, not yellowfin, but yellowtail, which is a jack. Okay. Have never, like right out of the damn water. Okay. Never frozen. Would you, if you were hanging out with us. This is the, the sea fish, ocean fish. Ocean yes. fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ocean fish. Ocean fish, yeah. So there you are. You're hanging out with us. Yeah. We're like, oh my gosh, look what we caught. And we uh, cut it up. Would you, where would you fall on that? Would you be like, no way, bro. Or would you say the risk is so small, I will enjoy it with you? I'd enjoy it with you. Oh, okay. So we're not like stupid for having done no, that. No, I've yeah, I've eaten. I've been to Taiwan, and I've had when they bring in the giant tuna, and it's a ceremony. The chief chef there slices it, and everybody's looking. The newspapers and televisions there. This is this is worth ten thousand dollars. This giant tuna, and it's it's wonderful fish. Okay, so you're not so because we can't. You know everything you know, and you would still eat. Yeah, because that parasite can't do any real damage to us. Really? Uh, not really. It can it it, it 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 wander around you a little bit and see especially uh, there's some fish like hake. You know about hake? Yeah, I'm familiar sure. with hake. Or merluza, it's sometimes called, or, or some monkfish, for example. These are the de- really mm-hmm. tasty fish, uh, or even some of the flatfish too, like you mentioned, dovisol and uh, and uh, these fish are sometimes very wormy, but cook them and they're fine. But if you don't cook them, it's not the end of the world. That's good to know. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, uh, we, can, now we can move on fish. freshwater fish. Freshwater fish, okay. In this country, in this country, the only real freshwater fish you're going to worry about is is a, a tapeworm. No, back up because you're Canadian. I'm I'm sorry, North America. Okay, good. As opposed to Southeast Asia. Yeah, all right. We'll go with North America. North America. 
is a worm. It's called a uh, long name, Diphylobothrium latum. It's almost as long. It'll grow up to about 10 meters, 10 yards long, almost the whole length of your intestine. <laughs> yeah, I put, a, I put, a, sto I put a story in, the, in my article about this, about a guy <laughs> who pulled uh, five feet of of one out of his own yeah this is freshwater you know. fish and uh, you know where it, it, a lot have been written on in the jewish housewives Kay. would make a, a, a thing called gefilte fish oh yeah man Little fish fish balls uh, sort of stewed white what, fish pike white carp, fish exactly yeah. and what she would do before she uh, boiled them in the in the in the liquid uh, she would taste it to make sure there's enough salt in it either too much or not enough salt out of it, but she would taste the raw fish. She was the one in the family who got this tapeworm, and the rest of the family didn't because they had it after these things were boiled in the fish yeah. sauce, fish stew. So um, this particular worm, though, is a bit objectionable when people say, you know, a 10, meter, 10 yards long worm. It's not going to cause much of a problem. You might have one in your, inside you now and not even know it. If you're well fed, you've got enough food to feed you and a couple of these worms. More than well fed. So it uh, can eat. So that worm can live for a while. I can live for a long time. But he can't reproduce. Yep. It can reproduce oh. in you. Uh, you, as you defecate, you're going to leave little what they call proglottids, a little tiny, little tiny bits of ribbony tape come out with your feces, and if that gets in this, this particular case gets into the water course, then there's an intermediate, usually a mollusk, a small uh, snail, so a creature is the intermediate host, and the fish eats that thing, and it gets the. So right, the I'm confused again. now because. This big ass, the the ten the ten meter worm. Yeah, it, it, you get it from what? What fish can you get it from? Freshwater fish. But it, but this thing doesn't exist in salt water. Well, it does if the fish lives in both waters. Oh, so yeah. salmon Cue are the, the one salmon. two punch. Yeah. Salmon and char. So why were you saying eels. that? But, yes. Okay, if that if this one can get Plus in sturgeon. you and it can live in you and it can reproduce. But it's not. It's not. It's not reproducing in you. It, it's 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 fertilizing another one of the same species, and you're excreting out the bits. So you you can't get it reproducing in within you, as a as an isolated unit. You see, but there's no detrimental effect from this thing. Not really. If you were really malnourished, you know, it'd be oh. difficult to keep a couple of these worms going. Tapeworms are are not really dangerous. I mean, they is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's good to know. Huh. Yeah, so when, Sam's when, got one of these. Uh, likely, <laughs> no, no. But yeah, salmon is one, and we have had we had a uh, we had a conference of businessmen. I think they were in northern British Columbia, mm -hmm. and as part of their conference, they wanted to taste because from all over the world, they wanted to taste British Columbia fresh salmon. It was smoked in not in the uh, Northwest Pacific style, you know, which is where you hot smoke it. This is the traditional cold smoking. Yep. And I think four or five of these businessmen came down with both the marine <laughs> worms and the, the tapeworm. It's about the only fish this will happen to. Okay, because came, the fish spend... came down in what way? How did they know? Uh, they had a serology that showed that they'd been attacked by these little uh, uh, marine worms. But they weren't sick and didn't die. No, they had some pains. But they did have a tapeworm, and that showed up as well. And eventually, the stool samples showed that it was there as well. But it's a very unusual case where you get both kinds of parasite, and the only fish that will work from it is, is Arctic char, which is a member of the salmon family, or uh, any of the salmons. And there we was a, think there was eel a little... as well, but we haven't seen examples of that yet. But we think eel would work. I just oh, had Arctic huh. char raw several weeks ago when I was in Iceland. Yeah, oh, yeah. eel. Uh, 
quick little lesson. That my favorite word is catadrinous. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah. a everyone knows anadromous fish, yeah, which live in yeah. the ocean and spawn in the rivers, but eels live in the rivers and yeah. spawn in the ocean. Uh, we had a little scare at my house recently, where all of a sudden everybody's all excited because one of my kids had defecated out a bunch of real thin tapeworms. So I went out to investigate. You sure they were tapeworms? No. Well, you know what he was eating? We had put a, we made summer sausage and put it in a collagen casing. <laughs> oh. And I sliced a bunch for him, and I didn't realize that he, he didn't know to take the, he didn't know to take the casing off. Uh-huh. But it's cutting these discs, and he's eating these things all day long. And he's, I don't know how many chunks of collagen <laughs> sausage casing, which he then passes out. You look in the bowl, it looks like. I'm like, what? I looked at him, and I kept looking at him like, what? And I went and got a pair of latex gloves, and I pulled them out. <laughs> all these rings of collagen sausage casing. <laughs> <laughs> but what you will get, and I've had them, people calling up and saying, quickly, come over, look in the toilet. And there's somebody who's been on the toilet, and down the toilet, there's a bunch of moving worms. Yeah. Spaghetti kind of worms. Okay. And they're all, uh, they're all round worms, and the, the, some are about five inches long, and some are about seven inches long. Real worms. Real worms. Okay. And these are Ascaris lumbricoides. These are uh, the round worm called Ascaris. Oh, the kids get playing in sandboxes. Uh, well, that's one way of doing it. And these worms will uh, will can plug up your intestine. They're so dense. I've taken a pig intestine when I used to be an inspector in the slaughterhouse, sliced through the intestine, and you can no food could really get through it because you've just cut through about twenty seven little worms at the same time just to have through the intestine. No kidding. So these people are in a really bad way. I mean, they're not digesting any food, and they're all bloated and edematous and so on. Yeah. How do they get that? They get that through eating uh, on the food. The uh, the cystic eggs of this particular worm. Um, there was a, a village in Scotland going back to about 1930, I think it was, isolated little village. And the physician, I think, retired for some reason. And the new physician came along. And uh, the first morning in the waiting room, the first patient came in. And he said, how are you today? And the woman said, oh, just the usual cough, coughed up a few worms, just the usual, nothing much. <laughs> and he said, when you're coughing, coughing up worms. It turned out the whole village was, was, had, had Ascaris worms in them, and they were seeding themselves. Why? Because they were using night soilage, you know? They were collecting sewage in their houses, in buckets, and putting it on the gardens and growing vegetables. Oh, there you go. Oh. And so this is, then we had a couple of scientists, I think they were German, who decided to experiment on themselves, good scientists, and they, 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 and they, they, they seeded some strawberries in a strawberry patch one year with Ascaris eggs. And then every year they ate about a pound or so of strawberries. And every year for about five or six years, both of them got Ascaris worms. So these things can live for a number of years through frost cycles. The eggs can because yeah, they're almost yeah. really dried up like a spore. So these things are around, but normally in the food that we eat, we don't have dirt. We know we found them on paper money. No kidding. Uh, coins. Yeah, you know, I was just yelling at my kid two days ago to stop. He had a $5 billies running around within his mouth. Don't. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling him. I was like, man, don't put money in your mouth. And he's like, why? I'm like, I don't know. I just understand that it's something you're not supposed to do. <laughs> what, what you should do in the States is have what we have in Canada, pay, uh, plastic money. 
Yeah, yeah, we're not that far that. along yet. Plastic money, see? You can put it in the washing it's machine. It's all different sizes, though. We like to be able to burn our no, money. Really. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you can put it in the washing machine, it'll still yes, be in do. the pocket when you come out. Don't, don't iron it, though. It melts. Oh, okay. <laughs> good to know. Uh, man, it's good stuff. I had a thought, but I can't remember what my thought was. I, I got a thought. Oh. I want to hear about some of the, some of the nastier worms and the f- the flukes. I was reading about a village or, or community in Thailand, I yeah. believe, that has an extremely high prevalence of liver cancer due to some raw fish preparation that involves live red ants, but the, there's some liver fluke in their regional fishes. But I'm, I'm just, I'm Mom, just, I'm just talking me. about- You lost me. <clears throat> okay. They're getting sick from eating ants or they're getting sick from eating liver flukes? Liver flukes in fish. The, oh, the, yeah. the ants, that's that's tangential. Liver that's flukes, what they thought yeah. it was initially. Oh, they're like, oh, you're all sick because you're eating too many ants. Yeah. 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 Well, there's, yeah, there's a number of things. That's why I said Southeast Asia just a while. It, yes, as that's why I was coming back to it. There are a number of flukes there, um, including uh, Clonorchis sinensis, the Chinese liver fluke, which is a very... Uh, the, one of, the, one of the, the intermediate hosts for this is a crab. It's a marine crab. It's called the mitten crab. Mm-hmm. Because the adult, it, on its claws, it's, it's got algae that grows just like big hairy mittens. Okay. Now, I've eaten this crab when it was in Shanghai and Hong Kong. It's the sweetest crab meat you'll ever meet. It's delicious. But you've got to cook it because it, it's carrying the, uh, the larval form of the liver fluke, which gets into your liver, into your bile ducts. And it can cause all kinds of uh, problems with your liver. And of course, that irritation, irritation or inflammation is by definition an early form uh, of uh, what we would call uh, uh, um, like promoters in cancer. If you have any kind of inflammation, it can lead to a cancer down the road, not it will. So this is one. And we found that fish farming, the kind of fish farming they do in the Philippines and Southeast Asia, uh, there's a lot of liver flukes coming out of that. So you've got to cook the fish. And, of course, my relatives and so on in Hong Kong, they don't like to cook. They like the freshest possible seafood and shrimps and lobsters. They'll undercook it deliberately because they want that fresh, just like your bear meat. How How do you have relatives in Hong Kong? My uh, um, third wife is from Hong Kong. You've been married three times. Yes. You still married to her now? No. Really? <laughs> what? Uh, real quick, we'll get back to what we're talking about. What do you think makes it so? Uh, what, why, how are you so difficult to live with? Oh, I don't know. It's uh, you probably talk about worms all the time, creepy crawlers, <laughs> slimy things. You know. Oh man, that's terrible. Not terrible. I mean, I'm, you're fine and everything. I just think about like, I, I, I'd hate to have to. You know, like my buddy Ryan, he once said, and he goes, I don't want to lose half my stuff, but, um. <laughs> <laughs> I have great in-laws all over the world now, right? international. That's convenient. Yeah, look at the positives. Uh, the Phil- we were talking about the Philippines. One mm-hmm. of the more, this will, you'll appreciate this story as, a, as someone who specializes in foodborne pathogens. Uh, we hiked into a village in the Philippines one time, like not on the road system at all. You had to hike way into the mountains. Um. In the highlands of Luzon, like uh, the, Luzon. the main island, yep, yep. and we and and I slept in a house one night where the the house is built on uh, on pilings, built mm-hmm. on stilts, and they had like portions of the house were like widely spaced planks. The reason the house is on pilings, as best I could tell, is below the house was a was a pen. And the pen is where they fatten dogs and pigs. Mm. And so all human waste and all food scrap 
just would go through the floor down to the dogs and pigs, which you then consumed. And and I'm not a squeamish person, but I remember having uh, just a feeling of like, this seems like a good place for me to get sick. Hanging out like in this, in, in this proximity to, to sort of like just yeah. watching like the recycling of human excrement. The parallel to that is in some areas around the coast of uh, some countries in Southeast Asia, they do the same thing with uh, fish, fish farming, where the, the fish is kept in a pen right underneath the house on stilts. So and all the, and all the waste, the waste goes is going down there. When, you think, of, when you think about it, I mean, the pig has got a, an, an amazing alimentary canal, and the pig eats its own waste and the waste from other animals as well, because it's in fact extracting the food that the original eater left behind, and the pig can use that, and the pig puts on weight because of What's that. What's the term "elementary canal"? Alimentary canal. What does that mean? From the mouth to the uranus. It's your whole, the whole canal. And what's the word? Alimentary. Not elementary, al a l. Oh, never heard that word. Yeah, yeah. What does it mean? It's that. Uh, it's that oh, canal so where you that, digest. That in and of itself food. is that. That's yeah. not an adjective. Oh no no. Well, okay. it's an adjective for canal. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, and it has an amazing one of these. Yeah yeah. Very effective a pig. Because that's because you're saying like something else can eat and pass. Mm-hmm. And not absorb nutrients from them, but they can eat mm-hmm. those droppings and, and pick up his like uh, sloppy seconds or whatever you want exactly, to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so again, if there's cooking done properly, and people aren't eating raw pork in China. Or not. No. No, okay. it's, uh, sometimes you get a lot of raw meats in uh, Cambodia and uh, Vietnam. But China, they cook every, even lettuce. They cook, they cook lettuce. And this is why it's pretty much the safest food to eat is, is properly done Chinese food. It's all cooked. Yeah, and this is the really the lesson with our hunting fraternity: either boil it, or bake it, or stop something biting you, and wash your hands, just like Granny <laughs> told us. All the way, you know, the wisdom is there. Do that, you won't get trichinosis or any of these tapeworms either. You know what else happened in the same Philippine village that I thought was was uh, a cool system, and and didn't make me feel like I was going to get sick? Is that they would they had terraced? They were in the very steep mountains, and they had terraced rice paddies that they'd built over thousands of years. And um, their rotational system mm-hmm. would be that they'd, they'd sow rice and farm rice. And then when one of the paddies came out of, uh, out of a rice harvest, they would do tilapia. They would do fish in it, flood mm-hmm. it, and do mm-hmm. fish in it as like a regenerative mm-hmm. practice, harvest the fish, drain the thing out, and then do a rice crop in there. To, to, to fertilize the... And they're also feeding the fish as well. They've got to feed the fish. And of course, the fish droppings accumulate and, and the remains of the food, is, it, that's the, new, the nitrogen for the next crop yeah, of rice. Yeah. It's a wonderful cyclical thing. I mean, this is, it should delight all the organic farmers in this part of the world. They don't call it organic in that part of the world. It's called farming. It's farming, yeah. <laughs> We've often said organic farming is really the rich people showing off what they can do. It's nothing to do with reality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's do toxoplasmosis because our buddy, oh, you know, he's supposed to be dropping by today. Mm-hmm. One of our buddy's uh, wives, man, I think she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Toxoplasmosis. Really? Stay away from cats then. She should stay away from cats. But but you get she's it. She's pregnant. But you can get it from eating game meat, right? Yep. Talk about, I, I don't, you know, this is the one of these ones I don't even know. I don't understand what the hell it is. 
Okay, this is now we're leaving bacteria behind now. We're into the area of a parasite. A is that okay? A single-celled parasite. Yeah, 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 yeah. Toxoplasma gondii. It's um, not named after Gandhi. Oh, no, it's different. No, Gandhi, G-O-N-D-I. Okay. I, double I. Um, do you remember when Dr. Uh, Christian Barnard, you may not remember, you were too young. If you're old as me, you remember. He was the first guy who did the heart transplant in South Africa. No, no recollection. And he was on a- He was the first guy to perform one? Perform or one. Okay. And so he was doing the study tour. I think he was in uh, Harvard, I think it was, and uh, one of the New England medical schools. And all the medical students were there, wanted to hear Dr. Barnard talk about this first time ever heart transplant. The break came. They rushed across the road there. Do you, do you remember roughly what year that would have been? Probably about 1972 or something like that. Okay. Something like that. And they rushed across the road to a little hamburger guy, and they swarmed 1967. him. 67, okay, I'm a few years uh, later. And uh, he couldn't keep up the hamburgers. They kicked, quick, quick, got to get back. So he was uh, half cooking sorry, the hamburgers. I got, I got lost. Everybody, who, who's eating burgers? This <laughs> medical students who come into this uh, lecture. They swarmed across the road to the hamburger seller who was quickly half cooking them and giving them to the medical oh, students. Oh, because he's got a rush. Who went back in, right. He's got a mad rush. It turned out that some uh, four or five or six of these people developed uh, toxoplasma, toxoplasmosis from the raw hamburger. Okay. It doesn't usually happen with beef. It's usually other animals, but you know, and sometimes your hamburger isn't hamburger. There's other meats as well mixed in. So that, for a while, became known as Barnard syndrome, where medical students develop something from eating hamburger. But back to your original question. Named after the guy that performed the first heart surgery. Yeah, Just because yeah, yeah. he was there locally. giving a lecture. <laughs> only That's locally. unfortunate. <laughs> he, dude, he's got to be like, that yeah. guy's got to be like, yeah, come on, man. Come on. Anyway, let's, this call, thing, let's call it burger syndrome. <laughs> this little parasite is, uh, they've recently, recently rewritten some of the medical books because of this. What happened in British Columbia, in Victoria? Uh, let me back up a little bit. Uh, the, the main reservoir for this organism is cats. All of the Philidae were the wild cats. I knew cats I didn't like the, cats. Well, no, if you like them or not, it doesn't matter. They carry this thing around with them, and they defecate. And uh, if, it's, if it's, for example, if it's taken in uh, for a human body, it doesn't normally cause anything too nasty. But if you're pregnant... And in the early stages of pregnancy, this thing can mess up your, your, the barrier and it can end up with some pretty nasty deformities and, and unfortunate things for the infant. So women should keep away from that. We had a, uh, an outbreak in Victoria, you know, the beautiful capital city, Vancouver yeah. Island. Spent a lot of time there. And uh, uh, these were an outbreak of toxoplasmosis among people who had never had raw meat, never had game meat. Never kept cats. Where the hell were they getting it from? Long story short, it was the boil down to the water. And the water was in a reservoir above the city in the highland. And they traced it back. And the cougars, wildcats, mountain lions. Mountain lions. Pumas. They get there, cougars. Catamounts. Well, whatever you call them. Painters. Call, in, in Canada, they call them cougars. They had toxoplasma. They were defecating around the beach area of the reservoir. These little things were entering the water. Now, Victoria filters and chlorinates its water, like every good city does. But the filtering may have let some of these through, and the chlorine was not enough. This is the big thing huh. about these things. Whoa. Normal chlorine will kill bacteria. It won't kill these parasites. You need to tr treble the amount of chlorine in the water. So it's getting it through. Now, now, if you look in the uh, Communicable Diseases book, it said it can't be transmitted through water that's been contaminated by cats' feces. 
That's really interesting. So the main way of getting it isn't eating deer meat. Uh, it can be. It can be eating. Uh, you, very often it's domestic meat, but deer meat. Oh, yep, so people get be. toxoplasmosis from domestic meat. Oh uh, yeah, cows, uh, sheep, mutton, sometimes oh. pork, deer, uh, moose. Yep, yep. Do, does that die at a certain temperature? Oh yeah, you you can kill it. Obviously, it doesn't spore forms. It forms spores. Well, let me talk about it now. Mm. It doesn't form spores. Uh, you can kill it off a normal cooking temperature. We'll do that again. About 160 again for Fahrenheit. Magic 160. Yep, absolutely. Because it's the denatures of protein. But uh, best not to tangle it with if you got pregnant women around. What is uh? Oh, this, I should tell you an interesting story about this too. Please. This parasite is one of those that's in the study been studied. Um, to see how it affects the victim. You may have come across, it's, it's almost science fiction, where, where mice are affected with Toxoplasma gondii, they behave in a reckless way. They come out and they almost like pull in faces at the cat, if you, are, if you paint a silly picture. In other words, can you see the, yeah. the logic here? They're almost asking to be eaten and to regenerate their their cycle again, we've seen this. In That's some, interesting. I think we've seen this in some fungus, uh, which uh, we don't get in North America. Uh, claviceps would be one of those. It grows in in China in the mountain areas to Nepal. It uh, the fungus in, inoculates a, a, a larva, a worm. The worm then does something strange. It it does it claw, it climbs up on a blade of grass dies, and then the fungus consumes the worm and forms little sporing bodies that forms the spore. In other words, it, it yeah, tells man. It the drives it up to a good place yeah. for dispersal. So Mother Nature, you see, never underestimate the power of Mother Nature. So like, like kamikaze mice. Oh, here we go. That's not, probably not the right way. I started to write a story, actually, about this affecting humans. It's like a fictitious story, but I never got beyond the first chapter yet, but I may dig it up. A lot of stories <laughs> go like that. You think you got something good, but you just don't, yeah, feel, like, you yeah. don't really feel like you doing stay it. stay with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, you guys good on that one? Yes. Toxoplasmosis. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide Armory's products are military and professionally formulated and approved, featuring a groundbreaking graphene-infused ceramic coating that is safe for all surfaces providing unmatched protection for any firearm. Discover a new standard in gun maintenance. Order your advanced cleaning kits today at RiptideArmory.com. Riptide Armory, relentless performance for your firearms. Decked Drawer Systems. Their products let you store and transport anything and everything to and from whatever you are doing. I have been using a deck system for years. I would not want to drive a truck without a deck system in it. You can clear the clutter right out of your cab. No more tripping over duct tape, jumper cables, toe straps. You put all that stuff in the deck system. Get rid of the random tubs and bins. You get out more, get more done, spend your time doing what you want to do when you have all your stuff organized and ready to go where it should be, all tucked away in your deck system. I've always loved decked, as is, but it's even better now because they just redesigned their drawer system and storage cases from the ground up. They got the Deco case line. These cases are as tough, if not tougher, than Pelican case or Go boxes. Totally waterproof and dustproof. You can literally run over them in your truck and they will be fine. 
High quality latches and handles make them really easy to use. They look great. They are made in the USA. To check it out, go to decked.com slash meat eater. Get yourself free shipping. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. I, for one, use it on all of my outboard engines up in Alaska every year. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Rabies. Oh, dear. Do you have rabies here? I'm sure you do. Me? I mean, in Montana. Oh, no doubt. I mean, is there places that don't have rabies? Some places more than others. We, Ontario, we have some of the highest density of rabies anywhere in North America. Oh, I didn't America. know that. I didn't know that. I guess because we're surrounded by lakes and rivers and three, two sides of a, tri- a triangle. So all these wildlife are in there, the, the pressure of the wildlife and cities and so on. So we get uh, – every health district has got uh, families taking shots all the time. Rabies, uh, yep. Let's, we, let's start out with what it is. Okay. A viral disease. It's a virus. A virus. Okay. It's a lysovirus. It's got a number of uh, relatives, uh, but they're all deadly. Uh, for all its intents and purposes, they're 100% fatal. Nobody survives. But the curious thing about it, it's one of the few diseases that you can still use a vaccine after you've been infected. Normally, that doesn't happen. Yeah, because in the old days, like not, not even the old days, not that long ago, when you got rabies, man, it was like you were in trouble. Isn't that correct? Well, if you no treatment, you died. That's the trouble you're in. Do you know, uh, do you guys, um, in, in Canada, you guys probably aren't really huge into Daniel Boone. Are you familiar with Daniel Boone? Uh, the name rings a bell. Yeah. Walt Disney made a movie, I think, didn't That's he? right. But yeah. You, yeah. you guys be doing yourselves a favor to get into <laughs> Daniel Boone. But uh, Boone was in, uh, in one of his camps one time, a guy... There was a bunch of guys sleeping around a fire in one of Boone's camps. They had just been in a skirmish with some Indians, and they were kind of regrouping. But anyways, a wolf came in and was, as they tell, like the wolf was kind of like very fixated on one person for whatever reason. And this, this guy got bit on the head or face. I can't remember where he got bit. He was sleeping. He got bit on the head or face. Some months go by, and they're night hunting on the Clinch River. Uh with they just drift the rivers at night with torches and the guy has this outbreak of hydrophobia and goes berserk the guy his hunting partner has to actually jump out of the canoe to get away from the guy who's going berserk with hydrophobia he his the episode ends he's so afraid of he's going to hurt somebody that he instructs his friends to tie him up and they bind him up and take him home and then he has another big uh, outbreak, or whatever you call it, and dies. From the first symptom to the death, wouldn't be more than 10 days, 11 days at the most. 
Really? Mm. Always. So if they did get him home, it would have been within a, a day or two. And the, the story as it's told is that the cut, the bite healed, had enough time to heal before he had the, they had enough time to heal before he had his first instance of like intense hydrophobia. Oh, it'll always do. Okay. See, this is a very strange disease. You uh, you get bitten by a, a rabid dog or a wolf or a coyote or a fox or a bat or anything like this. Uh, the bite inoculates you with a virus. Okay. Now, the virus doesn't affect where it is. There's sometimes a bit of a little swelling there, but it soon heals up and you think, oh, that's fine. Meanwhile, the virus is now working its way toward your central nervous system, upper spinal cord and brain especially. And it can take, depending on where you're bitten, bitten on the big toe, it can take many months, six, seven months. Bitten on the leg or something, a knee, maybe four or five months. Bitten around the shoulder, the neck, the face, maybe a few weeks. Shorter distance to travel. Right. Once it gets to the brain, then... The encephalitis starts, the brain inflammation starts. Also, the parotid glands, these salivary glands at the side, become very heavily loaded with virus. And that's when the symptoms start. The symptoms, you call it hydrophobia. That's what Pasteur called it, actually. Is that not accurate? What is hydrophobia? Hydrophobia is when, when the symptoms begin, the throat... Uh, becomes extreme. You've had a strep sore throat. Well, magnify that by about 50 times. The throat is on fire. Whoa. It's closed. You can't drink anything and you're dying of starvation. You see a glass of water, you try and sip, and the pain is unbearable. So you want the water, but it's the pain is all incredible. So this it looks like you're afraid of water. You're afraid of touching it because of the pain. It's nothing to do with the fear of water, it's oh. just because of the pain. But, but why was it of note to the guys? I think that uh, I can't remember his name. The guy that the, the, there was a historian that that collected up a lot of these narratives. Um, I can't remember his name, but it was of note in the story that they were out on in a canoe on the river when the guy had an episode. <laughs> Nothing to do with it. I mean, other than the fact that he might have tried to drink the river water, which you can do, of course, and that's maybe when he first felt this horrible pain oh, in the throat. Okay. Yeah, but you. any water will do it. But you die in a thirst. You're burning up because of the fever and the thirst, and you, you touch water and it's agony. That's why it looks like it's... However, look at, look at the beauty of this. You've got to look at the beauty of it, right? I am the, trying. The saliva from the salivary glands becomes loaded with virus. Okay. Meanwhile, the saliva that's in your mouth, you can't swallow. We're always swallowing saliva. There you can't. It's, it's plugged up. So you're, you're drooling. You're foaming. Frothing right? at the mouth. Frothing at the mouth. <laughs> and that's where the virus is. Right? Now bring in the aggressive form of rabies. Sometimes there's a dumb form where you just sort of go in the corner and become a vegetable, but more often you become aggressive. And if it's a wild animal, it's got no fear of any, any other thing either. It'll come right, a fox will come out of the brush and give you a bite. You know, mm -hmm. you'll never do that normally. So now you've got the aggression, the bite, the, the saliva full of virus, and it, the cycle starts again. It's just a perfect, uh, you know, perfect storm, if you like. Do squirrels carry rabies? Any animal can carry rabies. We even found it in mice. A laboratory, you can inoculate any animal. But remember that it's going to get it from being in a conflict with another animal. Yeah. Or usually the small animals would die and be eaten, usually. reason I bring that up, let me tell you quick something that happened to me. It has, there has been positive squirrels, though. We were in a pool one time in, uh, 
out on the end of Long in the Hamptons. You familiar with the Hamptons yeah, yeah, up yeah, in Long yeah. Island? We're in a pool and a squirrel comes running up. I was in there with my kids, our friends, kids, everybody's in the pool. Squirrel comes running up and starts running up and down the side of the pool, frantically, kind of casing everybody out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then the squirrel jumps into the pool. And I think, well, he's gonna he's not gonna like that. But then he starts coming at people <laughs> in the pool swimming. And I grabbed him up by the tail and whooped him so hard yeah. that it was it killed him. Do you think that we always wondered like what his uh what Could kind of been. trip he was on? Could have been. This happened before with squirrels. Yeah. In fact, just just a matter of about two or three weeks ago only, there were two episodes with foxes, almost the same as you're saying. They're both in uh, the eastern part of the United States okay. where, uh, um, uh, in one case, a, a woman was uh, walking or jogging, I think it was, and a squirrel, sorry, a fox came out of the undergrowth and went straight for her and bit her. And here she is sort of wondering what the hell to do. And then the neighbor's dog, I think, came along and chased the squirrel, chased the uh, fox away and killed it. And eventually the head was found to be positive. This is what caused rabies in this, uh, in this fox. So did the dog die too? No, uh, the dog, dog was probably dog vaccinated. Could, the dog could then get the shots. Gotcha. Right? In that intervening period between the bite and going up to the brain. Yeah. So the person who had who has rabies, getting back to your guy in the canoe, if he had bitten somebody, it's possible that he could have passed it on. But of course, humans don't normally get to the point of biting other humans. But it, technically, there's no reason why it wouldn't happen. Why are the bulk of, rab- of rabies cases, uh, why do they come from bats? Like, don't, no, not the majority. No, in, if you go to Asia, the majority is dogs. Oh, uh, feral dogs, wild dogs, you know, stray dogs. In uh, North America, it's really raccoons, uh, skunks, foxes, bats. That's about it. In Central America, it's bats and cattle because you get the, the cattle. Cattle because you're looking at the the bats that eat uh, the drink blood. Uh, Vampire bats. And they'll bite the cattle around the ankles. Next thing you know, the the cow has got rabies. And the yeah, vet- who's he going to bite? Uh, it doesn't, but the cow obviously is in is in trouble. It can't feed. It doesn't. The farmer says it hasn't fed for a while. It's behaving normally. The vet comes and says something stuck in its throat. So you know what vets do? They put the big long and oh, they yeah, into yeah. the throat. Nothing in there. But now the vet gets bitten, and the vet has to take the shots. The cow was rabid, but you didn't think of that. A rabid hand. cow. A rabid cow. So any animal can be rabid. In fact, we had, we didn't have uh, raccoon rabies in Ontario, in Canada, until some bright spark brought up a, 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 a semi a semi trailer from I think it was Georgia, full of raccoons. Because somebody up there wanted to go hunting raccoons in oh. New England, Maine, and Vermont. And they didn't have many raccoons there. So they said, let's bring some up from Georgia. So they brought up, <laughs> and apparently they brought up what some rabbit asshole. ones. So next thing we know, <laughs> that crossing over the bridges into Canada, we, along the Brockville area, we're getting ra- raccoon rabies appearing. So what they tried there was something that's now been picked up by the United States. They, they, they euthanized, they, they, they trapped and killed every, every for one kilometer, it's about a half a mile. And then they, around for 10 kilometers, that's about, uh, about four miles, they dropped uh, uh, rabies vaccine baits in the form of meatballs. Yeah, there's a whole aircraft. line in the U.S. where they yeah. use those. And that's where they started they using it. It's so successful. They're now doing it in the States all over the place. Yeah, there's like some line 
Do you guys know where the line runs? Through the eastern U.S. somewhere, north to south, I think. Yeah. There's like a line where they, they airdrop rabies vaccination. Either, either Ohio or Pennsylvania, somewhere like that. Yeah. Pennsylvania sticks in my mouth. Oh, yeah. can't remember where. Remember we talked to that, that uh, he's a wildlife disease specialist. Brian Richards was telling us about that. Yeah. All I remember is that it was done on the east coast. Okay, let's talk about... Uh, well, too bats. I f- finished with bats, though, because oh, bats no, have some, some extra problem with a bat. You have an extra problem with bats? Yeah, yeah, we have extra problems. We think that the bats possibly can spread the virus as an aerosol. Now, that really gets you worried, because normally you need to have a bite. Most physicians will say, let me see your leg. Have you actually been bitten by the animal? And they've got to see a little puncture mark or something. Yeah. But with a bat, we have some evidence to show that a bat flying around a bedroom terrifying the people in the house, can possibly spread by, by, by uh, uh, aerosol. Just his saliva. Saliva in the air. And not only that, the bat's teeth are so needle-like that people have woken up, not the cannabis states, woken up and there's been a bat sitting on the chest somewhere. They wake up and the bat flies away. And they, didn't, they really looked closely and they didn't know but they could actually see a little tiny mark on the skin with the teeth. Oh, that's a rough way to wake so up. So that's, that's, that's tough Oof. with a bat. And also, last thing with a bat, we think it can live longer in its uh, infective stage. Normally, uh, remember about the dog or the other animal, yeah, yeah. Uh, 10 days maximum. It, between the symptoms, the infective start, the time you, to your dead, it's usually five or six or seven days, less than 10. Bat, we think, can be longer than that. So that creates like a little extra. Yeah. And if you, and if you don't like bats, uh, you, that's okay. But look, bats, <laughs> bats spread SARS. You remember SARS back yeah. in 2003? Yeah. Yep. We thought it was a, a, a thing called a, a civet cat. It wasn't. The civet cat got it from bats in China. Huh. Ebola, you know about Ebola? Sure. From bats. Man, right? If any listeners are already didn't like bats, man, they're really going to hate well, bats. Yeah, oh. but bats, are, bats are hurting, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, they are. They are with their blue, white, with their white nose. nose syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my kids just went on a tour of a bat cave. Yeah. Um, well, Lewis and Clark Caverns, which has bats in it. They went on a tour, and the tour people were curious what other caves, what all caves they'd been in. And if you'd been in another cave or something like that, you couldn't go in this cave? Or, really? Yeah. They hadn't, been, masks on? they hadn't been in any, I don't know if they reported they put been in any cave N95 masks on in the cave? You know, I could, you know, it's hard to get information from little kids. Mm-hmm. But I got the gist of it. But, you know, they could have messed something up. But I do believe them that mm. someone inquired about what other cave and they've been involved in. Because there's a lot of uh, uh, fungus and things that can grow in the bat guano on the floor of the cave. Yeah, and that's what kills. The, there's like this, what's it called again, Sam? White nose syndrome. Yeah, white nose syndrome. Yeah, white nose syndrome. But there's also some other stuff, like, like histoplasmosis, for example, which oh. can grow in that. Hmm. There's another single-celled, like, like to, uh, toxoplasma, which can be inhaled, lung disease. Are you comfortable coming back on the show sometime? Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Well, because we're, we're not going to get through all the diseases, man. <laughs> no, not even close. Not but even I want to hit like... Uh, I think we got to hit Giardia. Okay, go on. Yeah. Giardia. No, oh, yeah. let's do Giardia. Let's do Giardia. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's, that's very... It's, yeah, it's right it's now. Right People are going into the woods. They've got their Steri pens. They've got their water filters. Here, well, I have a friend who. Yeah. Just, oh yeah, man! Yeah. I have a friend who just got the Campylobacteriosis. Oh, Campylobacter yeah. from There's a bacteria, uh, from, yeah. from water drinking yeah, water out yeah, hunting. Yeah, let's talk about drinking water out in the woods. Okay, drinking water in the woods. Okay, so okay, Jada would come into that in a big way. Um, Single-celled parasite now. 
If you look at it in the way that most textbooks look at it, it looks like a little, a little balloon with two big eyes. These are actually suckering discs. Oh, sounds cute. It sounds really cute. Yeah. Uh, you say it looks like a balloon with two big eyes? Yeah, like, like a pear-shaped thing with okay. two eyes in there. But it's not eyes. They're not eyes. They're actually suck, <laughs> sucking discs. They're, they're <laughs> resistant better. to chlorine. <laughs> and if you go, my, a colleague of mine does a lot of work in the far north of Canada up there and research in the in the tundra, you know, where the Eskimos are, the Inuit. Yeah. And... Uh, Almost everybody has had uh, geodesis at some point or another. Well, it's, it's, that contradicts what I've been told by people is that when you get up to the Arctic Slope, you don't have it anymore. No, no, it's not true. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's all kinds of geodesy up there. Oh, and okay. It, it's living quite happily. Now, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it, it doesn't kill you off usually, but it causes a lot of chronic Intestinal. Problems. Oh, we've all had it, man. Chronic. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 foul-smelling diarrhea. It keeps it starts and stops. You get all burp. You get stops. burpy. Oh yeah, and it's not continuous, but it. it, it so, it can be treated. Uh, there's a number of uh, uh, good anti uh, anti-parasitic preparations, but there's some of them are as bad as a parasite. Actually. My brother once said that he almost thought it was worth getting Giardia, because of the relief the medication brought. <laughs> <laughs> he was like Giardia medicine and Tums and acid and acid are like two medicines that he likes because you take it and all of a sudden you feel a lot better. And he really appreciated. That's like the logic of, of hitting head against a brick wall, you know, and stopping. <laughs> the joy of stopping. Giardia <laughs> no, is spreading, and it's hardly anybody's free of it. Hardly anybody's immune to it. It's gonna if you if you're out there with the water that's not been boiled properly, boiling will kill it. Boiling it will kill it. How but long? Oh, uh, even bringing it to boiling point, uh, I'd say a minute or two, but to be in the safe side, about five minutes. And you cool it down again, you're as safe as anything. Nothing will happen. But of course, what's the container you're going to put it in? If you're going to use it for something else, where have your hands been? I mean, right. you know, there's a chain of infection going along here. Yeah. And it's in the environment. I mean, every bit of uh, fresh water or, or plant you may pick out of the fresh water, fish you've pulled out of the mud or something, that's where the jar is. Yeah, it's but everywhere. people, but yeah, I get what you're saying. And I, and I accept what you're saying, but people that get it, it's like you can dip your toothbrush all day long in some creek and brush your teeth. And, you know, anyone that dips their toothbrush in a creek usually knows not to – they spit it all yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, The people that get it, and I've gotten it, and when I've gotten it, we're, you're able to look and, and be like, you were drinking volumes of water. Mm -hmm. I don't know that anyone that picked up Cryptosporidia or Giardia – that couldn't look and, and, and figure out what, like, couldn't look and, and mm. sort of isolate a situation where they made a stupid call. Mm. Like, do you hear of patients coming in or people coming in with Giardia and having no idea how they could have possibly gotten it? Haven't been camping? No, you don't, if you, you don't go if fishing you go, and wind up with Giardia. If you go, no, that's, that's true. But, but going fishing is, is entering the great wild world where you are associated with something or other there i mean where where do you go fishing and don't have lunch on the bank of the of the of the of the river or the lake or something you're going to stop for lunch or you're going to cook up some fish and in so doing you've maybe brought some other stuff around and you it, usually i agree with you it's it's a larger quantity it's a glass of water or the people in milwaukee who had it piped through in their 
town system. Is that right? Really? And this, this, this was the biggest single outbreak of crypto. This is crypto now, but they're almost a parallel in the way they affect you. Okay. Uh, in history. In the municipal water municipal system. Municipal water supply. Oh, I got you. Milwaukee. And, uh, so they all the, had beaver fever right in town. Oh, the experts were there. And, of course, they, the, the lab people weren't trained to look for crypto. They were lo- lo- looking for bacteria. And they did every test for bacteria under the sun. They said, we can't find anything in there. And eventually, it was a hot summer day, and, the, and it was up to five, sorry, f- about 50,000 illnesses cases and something like 5,000 deaths. This is a big outbreak. When was this? I'm surprised you never heard about it. Oh, Oh, I can get you the exact date when they get I feel like I remember it. some kind of Listeria outbreak or something like that. That's no, that's, Listeria is always much smaller than that, but more deadly. Anyway, this particular thing, uh, they had a big press conference, and the reporters were there, and the commissioner for health, I forget his name now, Schmidt or something like that, one of the reporters said, uh, uh, oh, uh, Dr. Schmidt, we noticed that you're not drinking your water on, on the press table, you know. And he said, well, to tell the truth, a couple of boys in the lab think that might be something to do with the water, <laughs> but we're not sure yet. Now, up to that point, they thought it was food. Yeah. And so the, the lawyers went to town and said, look, if you think it's something to do with the water, at least tell us and we'll boil the water until you find out what the hell's going on. It was very embarrassing. Oh. This was in 1993. In, oh, okay. not, yeah, that, uh, yeah, early nineties. Yeah, yeah well, I was just out of modern, high, I was just out of high school. Modern man, times. Eight hundred thousand people were exposed to it. No, Expo- the exposure was huge. Yeah, because it was coming through the safe water supply. You know, yeah, drinking yeah. fountains, school kids. Wow, man! And again, that that's a parasite that resists the chlorination that you we normally apply. So you got to have an extra special chlorine or extra special filtration. So back to somebody that's out camping. Okay. And they stop. But hold on, can I can I hit one more before you before you sure. do that? Um, did you watch that documentary about that cult in Oregon called Wild Wild? Was it Wild Wild Country or Wild Country? Wild Wild Country. Wild Wild Country. It's it, anyway, there's a documentary about this cult in Oregon, and they had it where they're trying to figure out a way to keep everybody from voting on a certain day. Um, they didn't want the townspeople to vote. Because they wanted to be able to dominate an election, so they think yeah. like, how can we get? What would prevent everybody from voting? And they they feel that what would prevent everybody from voting is that everyone were sick. Oh, and they experimented. They experiment with various. They were going into salad bars. It was like a popular restaurant in town. And they went and tried to like contaminate a salad bar, and effectively did it and got a bunch of people sick. But another thing they knew about this is they a true knew, story. No, it's a true story. Yeah, the Rajneeshis. So, they knew about beaver fever. But they didn't quite know what beaver fever was. They thought that somehow, like beavers, mm. had carried beaver fever, and they they didn't execute on this. But I think they toyed with this plan to catch beavers, and then blend the beavers up and oh. contaminate the <laughs> municipal water supply with blended up beavers in Oof. order to infect the townspeople, so that on election day only the Rajneeshis would vote. It's a great story. Anyway, go ahead, Yanni. Thank you for that. <laughs> Take a big blender. A big blender. Like, yeah. Go get me a beaver and a, a beaver big blender. Beaver blender. <laughs> and the reason I'm point um, bringing up this uh, instance because I've been there and I've had and I can't quite remember now what he, he he's a chemical engineer I believe but a scientist nonetheless and and when I sat there and went through pumping my water treating it 
And I was actually using one of these Nalgene bottles, just like this one. Now I would put my uh, one end right in, into the, uh, the creek there, the water source, and it sort of has like a real rough filter at that end, and it mm-hmm. kind of has a float to keep it up off the bottom and so you stay away from the sediment. Goes in one tube, goes through the filter, and then there's sort of there's a, a ceramic filter, right? No, it wasn't a ceramic version. It was just the catadin, the regular filter, but not a ceramic version. Okay. And then uh, you, you put the little attachment that fits nice and snug on your Nalgene bottle. You proceed to pump away. Oh, it's a re- reverse osmosis then? Yes. Okay, with the pressure. Yeah. Through a membrane. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. And you pump it full. And then when it's all said and done, I would take my water filtration system and sort and there's you know long tubes going both directions and I would wrap it up and put it back into my little pouch that it lives in, put it into my backpack and off we go. And he felt that 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 because I'm not keeping the whole system clean and that and, and in the end I'm sort of contaminating the whole system by because that one end that the, the goes into the water source is now stuck in a bag mm. and you splash little droplets of water in there. He's like, you know what? If you're going to do that, there's really no reason for us to sit here and spend all this time filtering the water. Bullshit, man. It's got to be some kind of parts per million, man. The whole world would have Giardia. Well, there, aren't there parts of the world that where all, like great percentage of people have it? In the in poor areas, yeah. yeah. Like the north of Canada where they're living in like a third world area for right. sure. Uh, wells and sewage all get a bit mixed up together, that kind of thing, for sure. Yeah. But, but let's just say with the water again, because you had mentioned about water treatment systems. If you're looking for a system, uh, reverse osmosis is not a bad system, but it's got some real problems with it. When it's working out, out of the manufacturer, and if it's NSF certified to be one micron, it's got to be absolute, says on it, absolute one micron, then it's been tested by the National Sanitation Foundation. It's been found not to pass anything greater than one microphone. So you're going to keep out crypto and uh, and Giardia. And viruses too, right? At one micron? No. No? Okay. Much smaller. Much okay. smaller. Uh, even some of the bacteria will get through it in one micron. But if you're just looking at these particular nasties, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, if it says uh, nominal one micron, don't trust it. That sometimes twenty to thirty percent of the crypto will get through with nominal. It's just like approximately. Sure. So go with your absolute. The other thing with with RO is it works very well until the membrane, which is a semi-permeable membrane, until that gets even a microscopic hole in it, which it will do after a while. It's a it's a biological membrane, so you get a little fungus growing in it, little pinholes in it, and there's no way to tell that what is getting through is in fact contaminated. So they normally say use an RO filter uh, with something downstream from it, like ozone or a little drop of chlorine or something in there as well, just to be sure that there's something in Got there. It. Same with the ultraviolet light. You remember for a while there were little ultraviolet light kits you could get? That's what we, we use now. We use those. That's all we use That's now. That's all okay. we use. Now, the problem with ultraviolet is that it, it, it forms a deposit on the tube. You know, if you have a tube within the tube, if it's one of yep. those. Yeah, we have a tube within a tube. If you take it out once in a while, you don't clean the inner tube, there's all kinds of kind of a, a caking on the inner tube, 
which means that your UV now doesn't reach the water, and there's no way to tell. So what you, you should do is either clean that inner tube rigorously every time, yeah. or make sure there's something downstream like chlorine or iodine or, or something like that, or ozone, which will polish off anything that's got by. Yeah, we're big SteriPen guys. Really? Yeah, well, that's, that's good. Yeah, that's yep. the product. What the yeah. name of it? Yeah, we love it. It runs on a like a CR one twenty three battery. Yeah, yeah, or double A's. They have both. Oh, they yeah, that's yeah. right. I like those. And hey, how does uh, how does um, how does iodine mm-hmm. kill stuff? Well, it's 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 a molecule that actually element actually that uh, when in combination with proteins, it uh, it it forms a another very pleasant situation. It will. Kiss. This is why iodine was the first thing that you dab on. You remember in the old days? Oh, sure, man. Your that, dad, your mom and dad oh, dumping geez. that red stuff it on you all the time. It wasn't the iodine that hurt. It was the alcohol it was in because it was a oh, tincture of iodine. Okay. But nowadays you use betadine and these other things which you can put on. It doesn't hurt as much. So you go for an operation. They put on that nice red stuff. Yeah. Let it dry and then they cut into you. But it's, it's an iota four or an iodine-complicated organic iodine compound, it's just that it kills off most bacteria. Most bacteria can't survive in it. it but it's okay your- to, like, because like, here's the thing, like, you know, guys in the military, yeah. um, they use a lot of iodine. And for? You, for water sanitation. Oh, for water sanitation. Yeah. In the field. Okay. Yep, right? yep. So you're using iodine yep. tablets. Yep. And then they make a neutralizer yeah. that neutralizes the flavor of iodine. Yeah. But it's it's a commonly held belief, I don't know if it's true or not, and like in our circles, it's a commonly held belief that if you're spending a ton of time out, you shouldn't be eat, you shouldn't be using iodine because you're drinking all this. You're drinking too much iodine. The only place in your in the your body that will hang on to iodine is your thyroid gland. Okay. Every and no other tissue has got a receptor point for it. So anything more than that, you urinated, you defecated straight out. So you can't really do much. I, I believe there is a threshold for too much iodine. It sort of interplays hell with the, the irritation in some parts of the system and also can give too much in the thyroid gland. But it's not going to be something that's going to affect you too much. So if you're spending like, a, you know, you spend a couple months out of the year out running around the woods. It's the taste that most people don't like. So there's no detrimental. There's not like, I mean, like, again, not every day, all day, but like a week here and there. Drinking iodine-treated water is okay. Let me talk to our occupational health people who are linked in with OSHA and NIOSH and so on just to see what the latest is on on excessive iodine and what is excessive. I mean, it's got to be several ounces of iodine or something. Was it just a little more? Let me find out that, and I can can forward that information to you. Yeah. When I was talking earlier about... I got I got two more GR... Or two more, like, water... Because remember, salt's got iodine in because we need iodine. Yeah. They put iodine in salt because they figured it's mass, uh, mass medication, but it's the one thing you could guarantee that everybody's going to have a little bit of salt in their year, their month, their week. Uh, my two remaining questions on, on Giardia and, and crypto and other waterborne stuff that you get when you're camping. Uh, back to my one point, like I've had it two or three times. Um, and when, when, when like I remember one time I could – take you to where I drank out of a creek rabbit hunting mm-hmm. back home in Michigan and got real sick. And then I got it one time in Arizona because I did iodine, but I didn't want to, while super thirsty and I didn't want to wait for the iodine tablet to dissolve mm-hmm. and everybody else thought it was really stupid. And I had some argument why I thought it was okay. Got sick. Uh, I remember my brother, him getting it real bad one time because we were, 
elk hunting, and we found where uh, where we thought we found a trickle, the the original source where it's coming out of the ground. And he drank a bunch of that, and then we went another ten yards up the hill and realized that it was a big elk wallow, <laughs> and it hadn't flown through enough sand to, to filter it out. Yeah. And I remember he got sick, and it went on and on and on, and eventually got treated. So, like the times when we've had it, and then we're diagnosed because of, of given a scat sample, um, have have again. It's been these times where when. You like get sick. You're like, oh man, did I make a bad move? I remember another time a bunch of us got sick in Colorado. Cause someone had told us that some river was for some magical reason didn't have it. Everybody drank. Everybody Colorado's got sick. a hot spot. Is it really? Mm. And it was just like all these moments where you could kind of go through your history over the last couple of weeks and sort of identify, you know, a, a moment where it came from. So to Giannis, like driving after mainly, I'm driving after Giannis's point where when I hear people talk about that, you know, you dip some water out of a creek and then you stary pen the inside of your bottle, how maybe you missed a little drop in the threads of the bottle. I don't know, man. I just don't, I, I just can't, I just feel like if that stuff was getting you, then everybody would be sick all the damn time. It's a probability game, really, on how many of the cells you're taking in. All those things we've talked about, whether it's uh, tularemia and uh, uh, toxoplasma and so on, there's a minimum number of cells you need to get ill. Okay. With some of these things, you need uh, half a million or three quarters of a million to get ill. Other things, half a dozen will do it. Gotcha. So it all really depends on what the density is in the water. And probably your fitness or your wellness, right? To some degree, or your immune system, let's call yeah. it that, how, how strong your immune system. For example, if you're pretty ill from some other underlying feature or you've got diabetes or something, maybe your immune system is down, you're going to be hit much harder than other people. So here's, here's my second question. Uh did were communities uh, or, or, or groups of First Nations peoples, Native American, Native Alaskans, do they eventually did they eventually develop a um, immunity to it? And did all of their children have to go through a phase of having giardia? That is a really good question. And we've had the same thing asked about things like salmonella in Mexico, for example, or in Southeast Asia, where there's a lot of it around, but people don't seem to suffer from it anywhere near as much as the tourist who goes there mm -hmm. and is exposed. We know that, uh, just to, before I leave salmonella a little bit, we know that salmonella typhi, which causes a rather strange form of salmonella we call typhoid fever, which is a, yeah, yeah. a very serious I disease. didn't know that that was even connected. Okay. It's called salmonella typhi. Uh, that particular organism, we haven't, we've had a vaccine. I haven't been vaccinated for that when I used to live in the Mediterranean, vac typhoid fever and parathyroid fever. So the other salmonella probably do. We, we, we even think there's a, there's, a, there's a link like that, a kind of an acquired immunity among local people with Staphylococcus aureus, the, the staph toxin you get, you know, that yep. there's not an organism, the organism produces the toxin, the weed, the toxin. Even that appears that some people might actually become uh, uh, not immune to it, but tolerant of it, more tolerant of it. They wouldn't suffer from it. 
And so travelers coming back from uh, the nice uh, North American city, their stomach is used to North American supermarket food. They go and travel in Thailand or Philippines or somewhere like that, and they suddenly are really ill. The local people are eating it all the time. We do, I don't know about Jardia, specifically about that, but it's such a good question. I want to find out and get back to you about that because I want to see if there's any evidence so far that we can become uh, more tolerant of Jardia. I, I think it's a really good bet that we do. Good. So hang on that because uh, we're going to wrap it up and I'm going to let you go because now we have occasion to have you back on and provide us the answer about um, how Native Americans coped with Giardia. Good? Sounds good. Do you got any, uh, you guys, what do you guys got? You got any concluders? I, I just want to make sure that I'm clear that I'm, my takeaway is that it is okay for me to go out there and eat as much fresh or saltwater fish mm-hmm. raw. And that <laughs> really the worst he wants thing. An, he wants you to write it down that it's okay. The worst thing that's going to happen to me is that I'm going to end up with a little worm that crawls through my stomach and worms around for up to a week or so. And then dies. In the kind of fish we're going to be exposed to in North America, yes. That's yes. about right. Okay. So ceviche, uh, uh, there's a number of uh, societies around the world who do the same thing. Sure. Uh, oddly enough, they call it cooking in lime. It's mm-hmm. because the appearance of the fish, you know, it looks like it's oh, cooked. Oh, yeah, it's man. It's opaque. Yeah. But it's not actually being cooked. I think that the, in like most of the, like the chlorine or anything else, it's the time and the dose. So it's the strength of the lime. And how long it's been in there to, to achieve a kill off of the anything that is in there. But even if it wasn't much in there, what you're saying is still true. You, you're not going to have any serious disease. You may have some little tickle in the throat. You may get a little <laughs> puncture in the intestine. If you're really rare, you might get a, a peritonitis, but that's so rare that it, it hits the medical books when it happens. So it's not a big deal. Oh, it's, it's, it's really, rare enough that people write about it when it happens? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, a, right. good, that's a good measure yeah. of rarity. Good. It's like when someone gets hit by a mountain lion, it makes national news. So you're like, <laughs> not many people are getting hit by mountain lions. Yeah, very true. <laughs> Unless the mountain lion had toxoplasma in it, you know. Yeah, that's that's another kind of mountain lion problem. Sam, what do you got? Oh, I mean, there's so many more diseases I want to talk about from this incredible I know, list we're not, you gave but us. But we're not going to get through them all. We're not, I just, I just want to. If, if I thought we had a chance to get through them all, I would plow ahead. I know, but we, it's got to be a TV. It's uh, to be continued, man. It's like how Duke's a hazard. I, I, now, I understand. I just am just so fascinated now, and and I'm, I'm I'm struggling with kind of dueling emotions that like I feel like authorized to go eat whatever fish. I want to raw, but I'm also like scared to death now about a bunch of other shit. So, but um, I wouldn't do that in Southeast Asia. I'd want I wasn't all my planning on it. Fish and crab and shrimp cooked there. Yeah, but I mean, there was a thing in Hong Kong a number of years ago where, we, and I was with people who would do that. Who they would bring live live shrimp to the table. And you pick them up with the chopsticks, and maybe you dunk them quickly into the, the hot soup, but they're still basically alive. People eat them. Yeah, there's a handful. They of love that. Not a handful. There's a place in L.A. I went to, and the whole special, the, the whole point yeah. there is like eating stuff that's alive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people eat raw, you know, raw oysters, oysters which are you alive. Eat alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah but like, there's like there's more stuff. They're bringing all this stuff out. It's like the whole thing is, oh, oh it's yeah, still alive. Yeah, Isn't yeah. that great? And in an oyster, if you look really closely before you eat it, there's all kinds of little worms in there, but they don't cause any problem at all. Look at it closely. It, how, yeah, how, worms. How, how, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're afraid of bluegill or perch. A lot of them look like someone. Yeah, it looks like someone put black pepper on them already. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I don't. T- I don't like. I don't tell my wife. I'm like, see that? 
That's mm. a couple hundred little worms. Well, make sure it's properly cooked. That's yeah. a parasite. No, I just like, yeah, they just look like that. Yeah. And they, I don't and know what that is. There's a, it, <laughs> what they do is uh, in some places in Europe and England, they take a haddock, a sea fish, and they, uh, they smoke it. It's called smoked haddock. Yeah. But the worms now take on more of the dye than the fish does. So for, at last, anybody looking at it, you can say, oh, there's a little cold up because it's dark, oh, dark amber me. color. And the rest of the fish is light amber color. No but shit. it's dead. It's been yeah. properly cooked. Hey, uh, you don't have a book or anything, do you? Uh, I'm writing a couple of things, yeah. yeah. So if people are listening and they want to check out, uh, I mean, you, you, start, you probably publish academically, right? Oh, academically publishing, yeah. But I do. I'm a writer on Quora now. I'm retired from full time teaching, but I still do some teaching around the so world. So people can look up Tim Sly, Tim Epide- Sly Ryerson, and you'll get all kinds of epidemiologists, and people will find your work oh, yeah. and they'll read your stuff. I, I read a great deal of his writings, uh, unre- completely unrelated to even anything I, w- I was writing about. And your responses on Quora always oh. always have a, a good tongue in cheek component that mm. I enjoyed quite a bit. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Steve. Love have, I'd love to have you Thank back. You. Okay. We only got through not even a, like about a third of the things a fella could run into. <laughs> we well, haven't touched on babysiosis, brucellosis. I'd never even heard of that one. Campylobacteriosis. No, the babesiosis. Anaplasmosis. Anaplasmosis. Stay tuned, folks. We're going to cover a lot more diseases <laughs> that'll kill you. Thanks again. Good stuff. Pleasure. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made, innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business.